0: What's up, fellow fantasy nerds? Welcome back again to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I am your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And Drew and I have a particularly special episode cooking for our listeners today because we managed to grab some time from perhaps our most exciting guest on the episode on the show yet. You likely know him as the man responsible for so much of Brandon Sanderson's fantastic in-world art pieces. And if you've spent any time at all in the community, you know him as Dragonsteel's art director. We have Mr. Isaac Stewart joining us today. Isaac,
1: thank you so much for sitting down with us, man. Oh, I am happy to be here. Happy to be here with some fellow readers
2: Yeah, and so today we are talking about Locklands. Uh, We were lucky enough to get advanced review copies of this book. This is the concluding volume of the Founders Trilogy by Robert Jackson Bennett. And we're going to talk a little bit non-spoiler, just overall impressions before I get into my usual summary and we go into the spoiler stuff. So I'm just going to kick it off to you guys. Uh, What'd you think? So yeah, Locklands, it it lived up to the hype. And I
0: it's been how many episodes? It was, I believe it was episode 66 that we recorded Shorefall. It was in, I think I looked it up right before we went live. It was May of 2020 that we released that episode. So it's been over a couple of years and it was worth the wait. I mean, it was awesome. I don't really have any major criticisms of the book. I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to talk about everything I love. So I will start by saying it was phenomenal. What about you, Isaac?
1: Um, really great ending to the series, I thought. I thought that it just, uh, it wraps up a lot of the things that we've been wanting to know um, through, throughout the series. Um, it really didn't take things where I thought it was going to go. And and at first I was very surprised, right? Um, and then, yeah. then we're in the middle of this great epic conclusion. And um, Robert Jackson Bennett has not let me down yet with a book. And he continues to just produce phenomenal fiction, so. Bennett's batting a thousand. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I agree with you, Isaac. I was not, um, I was not prepared for it to pick up like eight years later in, right, <laughs> you know, where it did. I, w- where things left in Shorefall, I thought this was going to be, you know, a boom, boom, boom kind of conclusion. But even though it was unexpected, I, I think he stuck the landing really well. Uh You know, we've, we've done the Divine Cities on Inking Out Loud and, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and having that very high bar in mind you know uh, i i think he did an admirable job of meeting the expectations i had like
1: mm-hmm. you know i, I, mean, I completely
2: agree with that oh yeah good stuff he set up something really big, good but stuff he
0: followed through and when i don't think it doesn't sound like any of us were surprised he, he continues to knock it out of the park and i cannot wait to see what he's up to next i just i cannot oh completely
1: yeah completely agree Oh, yeah. He's he's one of these authors that it's just like okay, give me your book and I'll read it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, yep. I want to go back down. and read I'll some read of
2: his. It. Uh, I, I know he's written some horror stuff, and I've never touched any of that, and I'm interested. I've never <gasps> been a big horror fan, but
0: oh, are you serious? If, I'm just finding this out now. This I have a
2: whole. <laughs> I have a whole style point that I want
0: to get to as we you know very soon uh, talking about the horror elements in this series. Oh, I'm oh, so yeah. stoked to hear that he's got actual horror works. Oh, Okay, I know what yeah, I'm doing as soon as we wrap he's up. One of,
1: <laughs> he's won a, he's few awards too with with his horror works, and I, I keep thinking I need to go grab those and read them. I just haven't. I've read his all his fantasy stuff, but uh, his you know horror stuff haven't touched it yet. Want to?
2: Yeah, the uh, one of our very generous patrons uh, was the one who got us on the Robert Jackson. Well, I guess I should say we covered Foundry Side before that, but one of our patrons recommended we read the Divine Cities. And he oh, told man. me at the time as well, he was like, you know, if you like those, you definitely need to go check out his his horror stuff. And I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But this is kind Got of it. lighting a fire under me, too. Right. Let's <laughs> add it to the spreadsheet, my man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, because Rob, like you said, there's a there are a lot of horror elements in this book. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so many.
3: So well
0: done. He's so good at nailing that atmosphere, making you afraid to, to to read the next paragraph. I just, uh, there are a few authors that can really do that on a page, like Bennett can. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Well, uh, yep, 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 yep. On, on that point, uh, shall I go into my summary here so we can start talking some yeah, spoilers? Let's, let's, yeah, let's talk about how he stuck that landing. All right. In Locklands, the epic conclusion to Robert Jackson Bennett's Founders Trilogy, we jump ahead eight years after the events of Shorefall Night in Old Tavon. Sanchia, Berenice, and the rest are fighting a losing war against Tavon, the superpowerful merging of Gregor Dan- Dandolo and Valeria, struggling to save people from being subsumed into the enemy armies. While executing one such rescue mission, Clef touches Tavon itself, and together with Sanchia begins experiencing memories of his past human life. Along with that, Sanchia dreams of Chrysides captured and being tortured by Tavon. Back in their hidden city of Giva, Sanchia, Berenice, and Clef realize that Tavon is trying to access the door behind creation, which would allow it to rewrite all of reality. They hurriedly hatch a plan to break Cressides free and kill him, preventing Tavon from learning his knowledge. As they fly over Tavan's territory in a captured deadlamp, Clef's memories get stronger and he begins seeing a mysterious woman. They arrive in the valley with Cressides' prison and spring into action, twinning Sanchia to Tavon by using Clef to help her resist its commands. She sneaks through the defenses to the lexicon below the prison, but accidentally alerts Tavon to Clef's presence. And the lexicon opens, spawning a massive Gundam, uh sorry, a massive Lorica. <laughs> Clef fights the Lorica and defeats it, breaking free Chrysides, but hesitates to kill the Hierophant. Chrysides takes his opportunity and flees. As Tavon's forces close in around Sanchia and company, however, Chrysides shows up once again. He rescues them and gives them an avenue to freedom. They head north, where Crescides tells them he can find the last remaining door behind reality. There, they find Clef's original hometown, Anaskris, turned to glass. Crescides leads them underground, and Clef's memories return more fully. They find the door, and Clef cracks. He tries to kill Cressides and use his life to open the door, but Sancia stops him. They decide to find the proper key to the door, but it's too late, as Tavon has arrived. With a floating citadel, dead lamps, and giant loricas... Tavon captures everyone and prepares to open the door and destroy it using Clef. But Greeter is secretly there and provides the opening Clef needs. With Clef pathed to him, Chrysides breaks free and saves Sanchia, Berenice, Claudia, and Diala, but Tavon gets Clef. The Givens prepare for war and scribe Chrysides to return his powers at the cost of his immortality. Berenice and Sanchia have one last moment twinned before Berenice purges herself of all scribing so that she can infiltrate a Tavon citadel and sabotage the Regulator held within. Chrysides goes to war with Tavon in an insane aerial battle and Berenice breaks in. Before she can figure out how to open the door to the Regulator, however, Chrysides is captured and Tavon heads off Sanchia, getting both keys and opening the door. With reality splintering all around, Berenice finally solves the puzzle and defeats Tavon. Clef unscribes himself along with Chrysides and his old wife, whom he finally remembers is the one who became Valeria. Sanchia then goes through the door and closes it from the far side, leaving Berenice behind. The world moves on, turning into a utopia of unified minds, with Gregor and Berenice the only two left out. Even Gregor eventually joins them, but Berenice cannot, as she was purged. When the people finally leave the world behind, they give Berenice one final gift: another door behind which she finds Sanchia once again. What happened? Oh, yeah. <laughs> A lot
0: happened. That, that, that was pretty
1: spoilery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very I much. Went, that uh, was yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, before I uh, read the book, I was looking online trying to find uh, um, a a great synopsis like what you have provided there for books one and two. Just because I, I needed that that jogging of my memory right at the beginning. Uh, there was so much going on that I'm like, okay, I remember loving book two. What happened? Oh, that's right, Gregor and Valeria melded into you know, oh. craziness and it, mm. I, it, all, it was all coming back at the beginning, but I, I wish that I'd had such a great synopsis like you just gave um, for the previous two books.
2: I felt I yeah, the I, exact same way. Yeah. I went back and listened to our episodes cause I couldn't, I didn't remember mm-hmm. all the details either. It yep. was, like, like you said, it's been two years. I mean, and it feels longer because when we recorded that Shorefall episode, that was right when COVID hit. in in the U S you know, that was like early March, 2020. And it feels a lot longer than two years ago.
1: Yeah, it does. It it was interesting to read the acknowledgements at the end of the book and see, and then go and think, okay, I see a lot of how Bennett is being um, influenced by the pandemic and all of the craziness that was going on with that. I see how he's influenced by politics, um, and a worldwide pandemic and just everything that was going on. Right. He said Mm -hmm. it was a very difficult book to write and you can see him wrestling with some of the things and the themes that we've kind of wrestled with as a, um, as, as a world over the last few years. Yeah. Like
2: when he talked about the idea of loneliness and being alone and, and how he kind of put that into this book. Mm -hmm. And and it really, I wondered as I was reading through it, uh, when we start finding about Clef's history and the plague, and it made me wonder if this was something that he wrote in as a result of the pandemic, or if it was something that he had already planned in advance. Was it something like, oh, well, I know Clef is going to, you know, his wife was part of this whole thing, and, and he had a daughter who died, but I don't know how she died and he decided on a plague or if that was, you know, already long planned, but, but it, it kind of dovetailed really nicely with the world we're living in now.
1: That's yeah. true. And then all of the, um, how they they've created, are we in the spoiler section now? Yeah, we have more spoilery. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just the, the whole idea that they have of uh, creating a, twinned minds that then become these, um, they, what, what did he call them? Uh, this, they, they are concepts. They are, uh, like, Oh, you oh um,
2: cadence constituents. Cadences. Cadences. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So this a
1: second, yeah. giant group of people that their, their minds become so twinned and interlocked and they understand each other's experiences so well that they're almost a hive mind in some way. It reminded me of Werner Vinge's fire upon the deep with, with, uh, the, the packs of dogs that work as one body, um, and, but he took it a few steps further in having several of these and, um, and, and with human minds rather than alien minds. And it, it was very interesting that way. It was the, the whole idea of, okay, if we understand each other's experiences, we're going to be able to be in harmony with each other. is very mm-hmm. intriguing. At the same time, it was terrifying to me, this, yes. this whole idea that, that this future and this. Um, utopia is, is only available because you lose your individuality that, that terrified me. I'm like, maybe we should let the world be remade because this other thing, even though it brings about peace is really intriguing and interesting. I don't know if that's for me. I want to be the person living on the beach at the end. Yeah. With my own thoughts. I don't know. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that
0: is kind of odd to consider. And I'm really glad you brought this up, Isaac, because this goes a lot into what I wanted to talk about with the conflict, what's actually happening here in the story. We have Chrysides, we have Valeria, we have Tavon, all these, all the, they assume that the art of scribing, which arguably anachronistically technology is without question going to Mm -hmm. be used in the end to subjugate people. But we have on the other side, we have Sanchia, we have Berenice, particularly with Berenice. And because of these cadences, we, we can now look at the world through design's perspective. You know, technology has the potential to do the opposite. And that drives the major conflict, or at least a major conflict in the series, exploring the clash between these points of view. And it's not particularly subtle. Or I, I should actually, I shouldn't say subtle. I should say Bennett's not being shy about it. And there's a lot to respect about that, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's... Like if yeah. if I have one criticism of this book, it is the transhumanist theme to it. Uh, it I don't know if either of you have seen Neon Genesis Evangelion, the the classic anime, but I got strong similarities between that and this book. Uh, between the I mean, they have giant mechas, you know they they have giant robots fighting. Uh, but the way Evangelian ends in this kind of transhumanist merging left me with the same disquiet that the end of this book left me with. Uh where I I feel like Bennett framed it as a good thing, and I'm not sure I totally agree with that. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, right because he you. has he has these mm. horror undertones to everything, it makes sense, like it almost, how do I put this? Like, like there are layers to his understanding of like, I'm going to frame this as a good thing, knowing that this being framed as a good thing is going to make people feel Mm. uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The the ending was, I I like the word that you use disquiet, right? It felt like a Ah. good wrap up. It felt like a really great wrap up of the series, but I was left feeling just a little bit empty, not because of the story, but because of, the world they're they're trying to save yeah. the world and and it's empty now it's this it feels like it's a, this barren planet with nobody but animals there now that just kind of it's it's just waiting um mm-hmm. so yeah really it's, and i wasn't sure like you said is he framing this as a good thing or something that we should be just a little concerned about
0: yeah um, it, yeah i I definitely left a feeling a little bittersweet feeling almost depressed, but it was beautiful. And I I feel like it was beautiful because of the world that Bennett had built. It was poignant. It was appropriate. It was, it, 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 you know, uh, technology can do a lot of amazing things, but there is again, that theme that really, that really Bennett unpacks and, and flourishes towards, you know, the back end of the book about technology and new generations running farther and farther away from previous generations and kind of losing that touch, losing that connection with those around you. And just, yeah, the disquiet is a, is another, is a great word for it. It was, um, it was beautiful and inappropriate, but so much more heartbreaking
2: because those two words belong together for this ending. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, I, I was kind of surprised by the ending uh, the way the ending made me feel, but I, I shouldn't have been, especially knowing like I don't want to get into spoilers on a different series, but knowing how he ended each of the books in the Divine Cities trilogy, mm-hmm. he really knows how to, you know, make your soul ache for the characters, and and he certainly managed that with with Berenice and, and Gregor at the end here.
1: I completely agree with that. Yeah, just like, I, I, mean, I mean, it, this is. What I do like that he doesn't pull away from or shy away from is we see so many movies and we read a lot of books where you get to the end and people are like, yeah, this was the cost, but I'm I'm still the person that I was, and you know once we killed the ma- that main robot, all the pe- all the other um, orcs died at the same time and everybody was freed. It's like the end of a Doctor Who episode, and I say that's loving Doctor Who, right? Everything goes back to beautiful nice. and wonderful, yeah, yeah. and nobody nobody experienced this cost, but um, that's one of the things that we get with Bennett's books is that um, people experience hard things, they make it through it, but there's a cost um, and they are changed because of it. And that that seems more like reality to me. I mean, there's not a one of us that went through COVID unchanged, you know? Yeah. Uh, may, maybe there's a few, but I mean, most of us, it's like, wow, our, my worldview has shifted <laughs> things have happened. I'm a different person now. Um, you know, I, I felt a little bit more of the weight of the world Mm -hmm. and that, that is true to reality. Um, I think, so I, I love that he does that. His endings are bittersweet.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For, for some of us, we struggled to write a book through the pandemic for others. We wrote four or five secret books, you know, it happens, (laughs) uh, but, but yeah, it's, that sort of ending has always been my favorite kind of ending, something that leaves you with a strong, bittersweet taste. It's the reason I love the end of the black company so much. I love the end of the divine cities, even the wheel of time, you know, uh, it's, it's not wrapped up all neatly in a, in a little bow and, and, you know, and left there for you to, to look at how pretty everything is. It's like, there's a sense of relief, but, as Isaac said, like there's a cost to that. There was a price to achieve that relief. Mm. Yeah, so and, uh, and for this one, it's a, a very poignantly human cost.
1: <laughs> yeah, agree. yeah. But it, but it ended well though, too. Yeah. you know yeah. Not everybody got what they wanted. but a lot of good things were accomplished, it feels like. Mm -hmm. Sanchez and Berenice get to be together, even if it's on the other side of the world or a door or whatever, whatever is on the other side, (laughs) (laughs) which, 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 um, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to rag on the things at all that, that I was like, huh, in this book, but I do read books with a a mentality of, of what could have been a little bit better. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, to talk about a few of those things really quickly. Um, oh, first yeah. off, first off, af- coming off of the Divine Cities, and then we get to Foundry Side, right? Divine Cities were like each of those books was a five for me, and then then we got to um, Foundry Side, and that was like a four point five for me. Then okay. we then then we were back up to a five um, for Shorefall. I just enjoyed the heck out of that,
0: and I then like on I this
1: agree. one, I'm 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 back to maybe just a four point five, where I enjoyed the heck out of it just a few things first off um it's called Locklands, Yeah. and i feel like that should be called that's the name for book four i'm, I'm not saying go write another book <laughs> um i, I would <laughs> hey, read it and love yeah. it right but i'm like so this whole time i felt like we were set up in the last book and then for for a certain thing to happen and then in this one it's called Locklands, and i'm like they're gonna go through the door we're gonna see what's on the other side of the door we got hints of this in book two and then, and then that, that promise was just never, it never occurred yep. really. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was one of, one of my big things was I'm like, okay, that promise really wasn't fulfilled for me. Um, yep. and then th- th- this is the second thing is that I felt like every time they did a plan, they were able to do the plan and it didn't get screwed up too much. Right. Mm. Let me give you an example near the yes. end. Go ahead yeah. so um, so I'm just like okay I saw moments where he could have amped it was pretty amped up okay but he could have amped up that thrillerness <laughs> just a bit more okay we have Berenice she's flying overhead in so she she launches from a coffin from a submarine basically
3: <laughs> yeah right yes. which is
1: aw- awesome right she was awesome just so great um and then and then she's coming down um, adjusting that that kind of like para sailing thing to go onto one of the citadels and um, and it starts to move. And I'm like, oh, yeah, here's where the here's where the plan goes completely awry. Because we haven't really seen that. They plan something, it happens. Maybe one thing goes awry a little bit. Um, I'm like, she's totally going to land on the main one, right? The one she didn't want to go mm. on. And how mm. screwy would have that been? But now I understand, having read the book, the ending, why he didn't want that to happen. But there were things like that where I'm like, no, you can totally screw this up for the characters, yeah. and then they have to, they have to rush in. It just felt like everything always went to plan in the whole book. Um, so th- those were my two, my two things that just kept me from giving it a full five. So, um, and that's why I said I don't want to rag on this because I loved <laughs> it, but it was probably a four point five, whereas the previous book was a five. But as for an ending in the series, I'm like. This is this is really close to a five for an ending in a series. It's really great.
2: Yeah, it's hmm. so it's funny that you brought up the title thing. I, I also uh, felt the same uh, for reasons. Uh, unfulfilling or titles not fulfilling promises at the end of a series uh, mm-hmm. ha, has been on my mind over the last few months, and God. and so this was something that like I was I was really focused in on because I also felt in a way. That Foundry Side as a title was a little unfulfilling because we really only got mm. that at the very end of Foundry Side, and yeah. here again yeah. we only get Locklands at the end of the book, and yeah, it it, it it didn't fully land for me as a title. Now I think Shorefall that was a great title. Uh, he did a, an excellent That's job right. with that. Yeah, because you <laughs> you three. have this this impending sense of doom throughout the entire book until you get to Shorefall Night at the end and everything goes bonkers. Uh, but but yeah, I, I do kind of wish either that there were a fourth volume to fulfill the Lockland's promise or
1: that this had been titled differently. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, one more thing. Oh, really quick, yes, yes. At the end, <laughs> at the end, right? They're like, this whole book is about... Don't open the door. Don't open the door. And it's mentioned earlier, you know, okay. if And I, I've been calling them Crassides, but that now that I hear you guys say it, Crassides sounds way better out loud. <laughs> so I right, just go uh, by the audio so, book myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Chrisides, uh you know, they're like, he's like, yeah, I might be able to go on the other side of the door. And so I get this idea that maybe they can open it and go on the other side. It might have to be shut from the other side and Crassides might do that. Um, but then, you know, they're like, we can't let it open at all. I'm like, what? but you said you could go, why, why would you open it? But then say, we can't open it. Um, and then at the very end, they, they've had all this crazy stuff go on and the seas turn into glass. The oceans are boiling dogs and cats living together in harmony, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. They, um, and the, uh, and, uh, where was I going with that? I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, the but then that, then the, at the very end, you know, the, the door opens, they have to fix everything. They have to close it from the other side. And then in the epilogue, they're just like, yeah, and now we're screwing around with doors again.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, just like yeah, doors yeah. coming out of beaches. And
1: like- right. I'm like, <laughs> yep, yep. okay, we, we really – okay, I can buy this. But but shouldn't – have we got something where it's like, should we do this? Because, you know, yes. last time somebody messed with doors because they wanted to fix the world. And, and you know, and I really understood why um, Clef and Crassides and, and his wife – all wanted to fix things right because they lived through some horrible stuff their 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 motivations were noble but then things just got out of hand and it's like we that's we're back at that same thing with the the givens who their their motivations are noble right but then they're open all these doors again so yeah. anyway
0: I would have liked to have something there, just some little mention or even like a little teaser or a hint of what it is that the newer generation understands that we never did, that we didn't got, and how they managed to to do this kind of working with reality like Plato without screwing things up.
1: Right. Yeah. I yeah. Like just, I'm
2: not sure yeah. if it's supposed to be this idea that, Oh, because they're all unified now and they can understand each other, they are now perfect humans or, or have perfect social, awareness or whatever so that they can access the doors in a, in a proper way. But, but that goes back to my, my issues with the transhumanist themes here right. that it's that apparently the only way humans can interact with nature in a, in a healthy way is by losing all individuality.
1: And that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> uh,
0: not yeah. with me either. Yeah.
1: I, I, I can buy that, that explanation though. So one other thing that I, okay, this is just me being prescriptive. If I had been in a writing group, I would have said, okay, so Tavan is, wants to open this door and screw up reality so that the creator, whoever created this will come in and fix it. Okay, cool. Can we have that guy show up for, or, or gal or whatever, show up for a minute? Um, and then he's like, you screwed it up. You guys fix it. I don't know. Yeah. There was
0: that I wanted to, that's probably I, I a terrible idea.
2: I, I did <laughs> wonder about that throughout the book where I was like, this, this seems very presumptive of Tavon to just assume that uh, if opening the door will work, uh, that a creator still exists or is paying attention or, or that there are not mm-hmm. multiple creators and they may, might have different ideas. And, you know, they're it, it it felt like a giant leap of a leap of faith uh, on the part of Tavon.
1: Yeah. I, I, I bought it, but because, I mean, those assumptions mainly because we've already seen that these are millennia old beings that had already done things based on faulty assumptions and um, I totally bought it. But, uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that was, that was like, it was not, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound right to me though. That sounds like you need a few more steps before you get to that, that assumption.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, yeah. Uh, don't, don't worry about going like on, on the really prescriptivist stuff, because that is, that, that happens all the time on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey,
0: since we're on the subject of things that didn't quite land for us, I'd like to toss one forward myself, see what either of you guys make of it. Um, I, I wasn't entirely satisfied with the revelation of Clef's backstory. It was emotionally provocative. It was heartfelt. It was understandable at times, but I, I don't know. It didn't It didn't leave me feeling like everything was worth it. It was a touching goodbye, to be sure. But I would have wanted, I think, more revelations about like seeds planted in earlier books, perhaps, that we may have missed, rather than what felt to me like, so this is how I decided to wrap it up. You know, the ultimate revelation, of course, being, turns out Cliff had a wife. That... Yeah, the moment didn't really land for me. I think the, in the way I uh, what
2: was her name, Liviana, that she was actually Valeria. Right, that did just, not land for me. The, I the, the I identity was so telegraphed.
0: The identity of the woman with the purple yeah. hands, the rotting hands. Mike, my, my reaction was. Not what I think Bennett wanted. I was like, well, yeah, I didn't think Chrysides yeah. hatched from an egg. I figured out who that woman was with purple hands, like three yeah. paragraphs after she first appeared. So that being the kind of pivotal climactic revelation felt just fell a slight bit flat for me. Again, overall, loved the book. I'd probably rate them in, in very similarly to, to Isaac. I think I'd, I'd be like four or five, four. Uh, of course, being five. But yeah, little tiny things like that are what just kind of stop me from uh, giving this a perfect rating.
1: Right. And again, it's not, especially if, if, you know, Robert Jackson Bennett listens to this, I don't want him to think I hated the book (laughs) because (laughs) I love, I love what he puts out. And these are just, these are just things I would have brought up in a writing group. And now that the book's Mm -hmm. out there, I'm like, you know what? The book's out there. It's great. It's a great story. Um, I loved it. And yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, so for, for my end of the, uh, the nitpickiness, Uh, one thing that really, uh, bothered me throughout it was how he uses, uh, like, like how he had everybody speak. Um, I, I don't even know how many times he did this, but he'll have somebody start a sentence trail off with an ellipses and then repeat. I, I noticed that. So I didn't. much. So oh, no. much.
0: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't want to forget like, that before I do a reread. Okay. I, I was
2: when I first started noticing I was like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, like this is not a big deal. But then I hit a page like about a quarter of the way in where he did it eight times in one page. No oh, wow, way. I didn't notice that. No way. Yeah. Really... It's, uh it's at the very end of chapter ten. There's, you know, with with me you know that there's that one and then there's like a page break and then there's a berenice point of view and in her point of view we have a what what was that i am i am unsure why that happened but did did clef give that command i i think the console for the console to to destroy itself i i suppose so but but why
0: <laughs> oh i'm it looking was, at
2: it right now yeah, there were so many of them, and I was like, uh, okay, I have to make a note of this at this point.
0: <laughs> Drew does that to me all the time. I don't pay this close attention to these kinds of things. I like to lose myself in the book. This went right over my head, but now on a reread, Drew, I guarantee I'm going to be Rob. zeroed right in on that,
1: man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what page was that? Uh, uh, it was I, at
2: the very end of chapter 10. Yeah, uh, I only have locations in oh, my Okay,
1: email. I'm here at the end of 10, and I'm like, oh, there's a lot of, lot yeah. of
2: ellipses. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. It was like if, if if it were something that like maybe one person or one or two people did this often, and that's like how they talk. Sure, but the fact that everybody does it throughout the book started to feel monotonous. Yeah, and I, I thought it, I I just did it. <laughs> uh, I thought it <laughs> made the made the dialogue a little flatter than it huh. needed to be. Well, I'll say I didn't notice it. I didn't
1: notice it. So <laughs> both you guys read a little closer than I do. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but so yeah. We, we, earlier we were talking about some of these anime vibes, right? And um, <laughs> oh, and yeah. and there there were some big anime vibes. And one of them one of them was okay. Let's take a consciousness, and we're gonna tie it to a suit of armor. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah. yeah. Full Metal Alchemist. This is great. Yeah, okay. So I, I was totally fine with those things, right? Totally uh-huh. fine with mechs rising up out of the earth and, and, and oh, having yeah. giant fights. And uh, <laughs> But yeah, I'm like, cool. You know, we, we get this in other books, It's st- but now it's like, okay, there's this cool visual. How can I make that read in a book really well?
2: Yeah, the uh, the whole battle between Clef and the giant Lorica when he frees Cressides from the prison
1: uh, oh, so good it was I, great. I was
2: I was just in my mind just picturing Gundam wing the whole time you know just like <laughs> and yeah you know but that's that's one of the things that uh, the stuff that usually leaps out to me first that I want to gush about uh, how good Bennett is as a writer is a lot of the character stuff the the emotion that he puts in the stories but when you get down to it this guy writes a kick-ass action sequence.
1: Mm-hmm. He did oh, it in Divine
2: Cities. He, he did it all throughout this series, but he really cranked it up to 11 in this book. Wow, <laughs> it's something
0: yeah. It's something I noticed in this book, my favorite action sequences were not the superhuman characters. I think my favorite action sequences were from Berenice's point of view, when she's all armored up. And that really? was a lot of fun. I'd uh, have to agree with you. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Berenice now. I was, I was a fan before. Oh, yeah. And Drew is a huge fan of Berenice. Yeah. But now I'm right there. Mm. Now I'm a huge fan of Berenice. This book really solidified that for me. But those were my favorite action oh, scenes, I think, where agree. Berenice all armored up and doing her thing. That was just
2: awesome.
1: Yeah, I agree. Nice. There, there was a little more tension, I think, in those because it's, it's harder to make superhuman characters that there to be tension, especially when – he's twisted uh Chrysides on us you know he's the big bad in book two and then yeah partway through this book he's like i'm gonna help you because you know i'm weak and i i feel like maybe i was wrong and you're like wow if you would have thought about that <laughs> partway through the last book you know maybe we could have fixed a few yeah. things together yeah, yeah. you <laughs> but, make a really um, good point but um i mean he does a really great job saying okay we have all these superhuman, godlike beings that have altered the commands of the universe so that they can be this way, fighting. Um, and and he makes it real, feel realistic that there are still people around, fighting back, and they can fight back a little bit, but they're really just thorns in their side, the other people's sides, right? Yeah. Um, so that that was one of the things that he did a really good job of. That would have been, um, you know. Uh could have been really hard for a lesser writer to balance that. Um, but then his action sequences, Corsidi's pulling up mountains from the ocean, yes. condensing them into tiny asteroids and blowing oh. up floating cities. I mean, that's great. It's he hard pulls to go up, wrong. he pulls He pulls up like a sheet of ocean, turns it into a blade and starts like drowning these floating cities. Yeah. I mean... Yeah just all of the stuff that he came up with with the magic system that he's developed I'm like this is great I want to see this I mean this was like uh, you know an Avengers level ending to this book uh, oh yeah
2: Age of Ultron like the floating city
1: that was exactly
2: what I thought (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I didn't think about yeah. that, but
2: you're right. <laughs> I, I particularly
0: loved this moment when Berenice was underwater in the totally foreseeable uh, use of the submergible, or I should say, uh, yeah, submergible uh, uh, rig that design had <laughs> designed. Uh, and then there's just this rumbling that she hears, and she feels this giant just impact, this clap, this pressure wave. And they happen to already be talking about Corsides, and she goes, What is that? Are we breached? Are we taking on water? And I think it was design, or it might have been Clef just saying, no, that's actually him. He's just moving things around on the ocean floor, and that's a moment where I'm, a re- <laughs> as a reader, my eyes are slowly widening, going, "Oh, we're about to see Ooh, something really what is he cool." Doing? Here. <laughs> yeah, Bennett Bennett has absolutely nailed that that vibe, that excitement for what I'm going to see on that next page. It's oh, he's so good. Oh, Yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. uh well shall we move into uh character discussion here? yeah
0: yeah let's move into our characters because we, we have been pretty much touching on, on on a lot of our characters here but we can get directly into them then yeah for sure
2: uh i want to start with berenice i, I know sanchia is okay. you know kind of the main character of the series but uh berenice stole the show here for me i was
0: gonna say you know I, I would argue that berenice by the end is kind of the main character At least, like a book three is how i kind of felt uh sanchia didn't She's definitely started as, but yeah, I'm down yeah. as heck to talk about Berenice to start out. And then Drew, you've spoken at length previously about your love for that character. She held up, it <laughs> yeah. sounds like.
2: Oh, definitely. Uh it, it's actually funny because I didn't enjoy Berenice as much in Shorefall as I did in Foundry Side, but she she came roaring back in this book. Uh mm. she was the strongest part of this book for me. The choice to purge herself. Uh mm-hmm. the it was again, bittersweet, but it was kind of the reverse bittersweet from the ending where it's like, it's bitter because she has to tear herself out of this, you know, twin mind, but it's sweet because she's doing it to save everybody. Uh, and, and also it's a little sweet for me because it, it's a kind of a breath of fresh air where I'm, I'm not comfortable with the idea of the twinned minds thing. So I'm happy that Sanjia and Berenice are going to have a more normal relationship, you know, where, where they're not constantly in each other's heads. Uh, of course that didn't last long, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it it was like, I was grateful that she made that decision because that's the kind of decision that I feel like I would want to make.
1: Mm. There were, there were a lot of decision moments like this with several of the characters. And then with the um, cadences as total characters, they, they made a decision at the end that they would each take some of their own life. You know, they, they, they lose, I don't know, a couple of years of their own lives to, in order to make one of the magic moments happen to reverse that twinning plate so that um, they could buy some more time. Um, messing with uh, Tavain's, um head right there at the end. Yeah. So th- they made that decision, difficult decision. Um, Diela, Die- how, how did we say, decide I, that? I, set? I say Diela. Die- no, so Diela makes, a, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. these, these difficult choices to, to um, put on the circlet of sorts and be able to um, path to uh, greeter or design at any moment, um, so people sacrificing things um, for the greater good was a real theme for a lot of the characters in this book, and um, I thought that was that was pretty cool. That you know, there's that that sense of that I can sacrifice something for the greater good, um, which also might have come out from you know the pandemic. We all had to make little sacrifices here and there, sometimes big sacrifices for the greater good.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point, um, and and it kind of comes to a head with Berenice's, where where she kind of talks about the idea of giving rather than you know, rather than taking mm-hmm. and or, or giving rather than losing. Um, she's like, I'm I'm not losing anything. I'm giving this to you. I'm giving this to the people, and I I liked that kind of alternate perspective on sacrifice.
1: Yeah, that it's it's giving. It's a gift. A sacrifice as a gift for mm-hmm. for someone else. That's that's great. It, it reminds me of the at the very beginning of the book when the character, what's his name, he gets edited out of reality Oh, and oh, really oh Vittorio. Vittorio, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it really affects the crew that that he's twinned with, uh, uh, Daela, and um, affects her quite a bit. Affects uh-huh. uh, Claudia. You know what I mean? And, and Mm -hmm. that was a good narrative choice to show this is what can happen. Um, we're all going to have to sacrifice in this crazy war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good kind of narrative signpost saying, this
2: is where this book is going. Remember this, Mm -hmm. get used to this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, there was one path that was offered down which Berenice's journey could take her that really had me concerned. Uh, I was, I think it was in chapter three, um, Oh, pardon me, I didn't realize my phone was on there. Um, <laughs> uh, Berenice is at one point, I think it's in our first interaction, our first conflict, our first confrontation with the dead lamps. And she makes her way into one. It's not our, not hers, but it is ours first, our first uh, confrontation with them. And she's inside and she tells the the inhabitants, the the poor wretches that are enslaved inside that scribing, she tells them, I'm sorry. And then she thinks, I'm not like Tivon before she makes her play. And I was really concerned for a moment in that like thinking, "Uh-oh, Oh, where is her journey going to be taking her? If this is like where it's starting, Mm. she's thinking, I'm not Mm. like Tavon. What what kind of dark path is she going to take? And I I fully understand. I was very cognizant in this moment. Berenice is a genius. She is somebody who could really shake the world with an idea. And so I was really concerned that she was going to go down a darker path or, or, you know, some sort of path of, I don't even know how to explain it, but it didn't go anywhere near that. And it was kind of relieving. I was like, okay, thank God. It wasn't really touched upon, but that moment really had, was 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 a little concerning for me as a big fan of Berenice as I am now from page one. From page one, she was awesome. But uh, I'm really glad I didn't I take that too so.
3: her.
1: Yeah. yeah. There were some really great moments between Berenice and Sancia. Um, um, just quiet moments after the action sequences where they're like very they're just very grateful that they have more time together. And um, that, that landed really well with me. This whole idea that they knew at any moment, one of these crazy plans could go awry and they might lose each other. And there were a few moments where they almost did. Right. And so it just reminding me that in my life, you know, there's, hang on to those relationships, those, those, those moments that you have. So, yeah, I mean, cause that's what you have, right. You, you can't, hold on to something in the future because there's no, uh, guarantee. Um, and so I just, I just love those moments where they were so grateful to be together.
2: Yeah. 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 It is a good reminder to kind of stop and smell the stop and smell the flowers, you know, uh, in, in yeah. your own mm-hmm. life and, and yeah. not just be so focused on the future that you're just go, go, go. And, yeah. and you don't appreciate what you have in the moment. Yeah. Um,
0: and even if you're a yeah, reader like I, I am, so like I'm a I'm a big fan of, on the surface even surface level things and spectacle. I'm a big fan of the tough go-get'em leap into action female characters when I'm reading fa- fantasy uh-huh. books. And Berenice had everything I liked. We, we we had spent the last two books establishing how intelligent, how insightful, and how dedicated to our ideals she can be. But now she's donning armor. Now she's getting her hands dirty. She's wading into the thick of battle. She's surviving landslides. And so, it, no matter what kind of reader you are, I feel like Berenice has something to offer that'll absolutely turn you into a fan.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's like, I, I'm glad you brought up that change in her, Rob, because the reason I loved her initially uh, in foundry side so much was because of the sort of nerd that she is. Uh, she okay. reminded me a great deal of Chris in white sand. Ah,
3: uh, yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: I, yeah. I think on our foundry set episodes I, I described Berenice as a um, kind of a combination of Chris and three seagrass from a memory. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. I don't remember that, but that's very nice. I totally yeah. agree with
2: that. And, uh, and the Berenice that we see in this book is very different from that, but there's still kind of the core of it throughout the book. And it's only at the end when she starts thinking about how l- alone she is, that, uh, that kind of my love for this character really like hit home, uh, where she perceives how far the world has gone past her. And because she is physically incapable of understanding it, that curiosity, she just doesn't even bother anymore. She, she doesn't, she's like scribing is way beyond anything I know at this point, and I'm never going to understand it. And that made me really sad, but it made me really sad in a good way. There was a, I thought a strong, fulfillment yeah. of her character across three books.
1: Oh, I was feeling very ambivalent about that. Yeah. So I, uh, I had a moment like that, not not saying that I'm as brilliant as Berenice cause I'm not, <laughs> but I had this, I had this moment yesterday because I, I, you know, I was just finishing up this book over the last few days. And um, a friend of mine's like, yeah, uh, here's this really cool art tool, but you're going to have to sign up for discord to use it. So I signed up for discord no. and I look at discord yep. and I'm just like, what on earth is this? Mm-hmm. And I, I just felt so old. I felt like life had just passed me by and I just should go retire and sit on a beach somewhere. <laughs> I'm there um, with you. I'm absolutely and there. Then, yeah. So, you know, I, and then, and then I read this, this scene at the end where like you said, she's just like, wow, I used to love this technology thing. And now it's so far behind that. I, I just, I don't get it anymore. Um, so you know, I really felt that with with her even though hers is just on a much huger, grander scale. yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that same way.
0: I felt that same way about Discord. I still feel it a lot of the ways. I'll I'll hear people talking about creating new channels, creating new servers. I'm just like, I don't understand any of this. I just know how to sign in and hit the button and talk. I absolutely feel this way when I have my siblings or my nephews or people, younger guys at work, start talking about TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram. I'm I'm on none of those things. I'm on Facebook. That's all Rob Santos needs. That's all he understands. And it will get me through the next 50 years if I need. That's... Yeah, I'm there. I'm <laughs> absolutely there feeling that too.
1: But but isn't it wonderful that this book has like so many of these different characters experiencing experiencing different things that, that we can all kind of identify with mm. pieces of? You know, this is just really, I thought it was a really great book in that way. It's a really great way to yeah. ground a,
0: a modern reader in a fantasy book. That's absolutely effective. Yeah,
2: yeah and like, I, I think that's a good kind of perspective on the idea of having a diverse cast of characters where it's yeah. like there's there there have been books that I've read that have on the surface a diverse cast of characters quote unquote but it feels very tokenized you know where it's like we have our black character and we have our asian character and we have our our lgbt character and 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 you're just going down the checklist and here it it's like the, the characters identities, how they present themselves to the world, aren't the important thing in the diversity. It's the diversity of experiences, the characters go through and the way lots of different diverse people in the real world will be able to, uh, engage with them and, and, and sympathize and, and understand the characters and see themselves reflected on the page. I agree. I agree. Yeah.
0: I couldn't have articulated it that well, but
2: I agree you know we we got our, our our curmudgeonly old man you know in orso oh, we had him. Oh, yeah. I really
0: <laughs> missed him in this book i'm not gonna lie i missed a yeah. lot of his banter yeah
2: yeah uh, that that was i mean like he he went out like a boss but i did wish that we we could have gotten more orso oh, how
0: how touching was that moment when i think it was Sanche and berenice just saying i wish he was here mm-hmm. and yeah. i wish he was here with us and it's just like and yeah as a reader that. i wish so too Ugh. I appreciate yeah. that
2: thinking of Orso is what got Son- or Berenice over the hump, figuring out that mm-hmm. final puzzle.
1: Oh, yeah, right at the end there. Yeah, yeah. it's like, what would he think about? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he, he would. Yeah, that, that was a great moment.
2: Exactly. So good. But Duh. Yeah, so we've kind of already talked about Clef a bit. I know, Rob, you weren't thrilled with that revelation of his wife. Oh, it, but that was I, the
0: only only little complaint that I had. A lot of what I have to say about Clef is going to be positive, so, yeah. Let's let's dive. Sorry, continue. I yeah, I
2: dive. loved getting those glimpses of his life. I also really appreciated the way um, Bennett wrote those scenes, that it moved into present tense. And yes, it, I knew you were going to bring this up. Yes. It gave us a really intimate feel. Uh, there, was, there was that sense of immediacy because of the present tense in it, and it almost felt suffocating claustrophobic and and that's what it needed because it would be easy to have these scenes feel almost like bucolic where it's like oh we're reminiscing about the past and this is how I met my wife and 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 this is the story of my children coming into the world but instead this is not a good thing and Clef doesn't understand what's happening and so we feel the pressure of
1: it in the way Bennett wrote it absolutely you yeah. know i didn't even notice that it was in uh, present tense till you mentioned it and yeah, that's he does it to me all the time yeah. well he did this right you know yeah. i think i think the the divine Cities trilogy was all written in present tense um, if i recall correctly oh, and this is this right. one is this one is all past tense um, except for those moments where you you know you get that that immediacy and once you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was, that was present tense. And I just kind of slid right into it and got the immediacy, immediacy of the flashbacks. Um, I, I thought his transitions were really, really good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I totally forgot that Divide Cities was in present tense until
2: same, you brought that same. up. Because Rob, I remember you yeah. struggled so hard with that. I
0: did. I did. And yet I, I remember a big part of my, uh, of my conclusion about the series as a whole and why I like it so much is that it was an alien tense and yet none of it was, was disappointing. I was, I was thrilled all the way through and it was an genuinely enjoyable experience from page the first page to the last, despite my unfamiliarity with the tense. Yeah.
1: It is interesting if, if you've spent any time reading screenplays where they are written in uh, present tense mm-hmm. there that when you write a novel in present tense, it feels sometimes it can feel sort of literary, Um, and it can also sometimes feel more immediate, like a little more cinematic, like you were watching it. Um, so, uh, that there are, it really depends on your audience sometimes and what you, what you're doing with that present tense. But it used to be that I was not a fan of present tense, but it's people like Robert Jackson Bennett that make me go, this can be done and it can be done. Right.
2: Yeah. I agree with everything. Every syllable. Yep. Yep. I've never. I don't think I've ever tried to write something in present tense. Usually, when I'm pushing myself outside of my my comfort zone, it's that I'm writing in first person because I much prefer to write in third. But I never considered tense. Uh, on top of that, maybe I'll make that one of our Discord writing group prompts Ooh, for like prompt. July or August. Is yeah. write something in present tense. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah the. Like I've been reading a lot more stuff lately, and obviously, Rob, you and I are reading the 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 granddaddy of all present or, or oh. uh, first person perspectives. We're reading the Book of the New Sun right now, Isaac, ah. and uh, yeah, you know, the the unreliable narrator to end all unreliable narrators. Yeah, Drew's uh, reading. <laughs> I'm trying
0: to decipher is what I'm doing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, but but so like, it going back and forth, like. I just finished reading this book this morning and then immediately went over and opened up shadow of the torture and was reading that and and comparing the way that wolf does a first person past tense versus here we have elements of third person present tense and and how like like you said that immediate that immediate feeling almost cinematic feel like you do not feel when you're reading the book of the new sun like you're watching a movie that's you just don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But Locklands absolutely, <laughs> especially those Cleft flashback uh, memories. You know the mm. the bits when he goes outside the wall and and the guy the one slaver is faking being dead and stabs the captain and uh, and you you oh. feel the panic in the moment and you feel the raw emotion coming from. Clef when when we get the bits of him dealing with his daughter dying. And and I don't think that's possible if you write that in past tense.
1: That's certainly gonna be harder to pull off.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. and and as for Clef's, you know, his his current place in the crew and his banter with everyone, Clef was still a source of constant childish enjoyment for me. He's got this jarringly modern, almost millennial way. Of speaking, I think, and he, I mean, at one point, yeah. he calls himself a dumbass as he's trying to hype himself up for his infiltration of the first citadel. You know, I just I loved reading Clef on the page and getting Clef's point of view. It was always exciting, with, with zero exceptions. I think,
2: uh, and I appreciated the scene with uh, Chrysides on the dead lamp, where he asks, I think it's Berenice. He asks Berenice, uh, does does Claviades seem different? And I can't remember. I'm, I'm trying to find the quote, but he he describes it as he used to have a certain annoying jocularity or something yeah. like
1: that. Oh yeah, and, yeah,
2: and that made me chuckle.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: very, very much so. Uh,
1: I had there. There were a few parts that I just loved the quotes, that, and that that was uh, that was a good one. Um, there's another one here where Orso always said, "said Sancia." that the key to innovation is to throw yourself off of a cliff and build wings on the way (laughs) down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I I
2: found it because he seems different to me. He said, I recall that in his last iteration, he was, how shall I put this rather irritatingly jocular.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's putting it diplomatically. I love
1: that. That's a winner of a line. That's a gem. There
0: were,
1: there were some other little details that Bennett uses when, um, dealing with these earth shattering moments where uh, he just had some details that were interesting where it's like, you know, shock waves and things happening where it's like, Oh yeah, that would, that particular thing would work like a bomb and this thing would happen. And this is what would happen to the characters. You know, Um, this is an immense cloud of dust came rushing up as what must have been two or three inches of forest topsoil was driven into the air by the shock wave. I'm like, wow, he really thought about this. Some really cool details that I'm like, made it really feel uh cool that's Mm. that's rob's uh absolutely oh oh, here's another one sorry go for it yeah give me some more Uh, uh, a wave of air before her aromatic with pine sap and then a soft woof sound from below that's that's when she's in the the avalanche and a pine tree goes above her and, Mm -hmm. and he catches that pine sap smell and i'm like oh yeah i can i can feel that um, some just mm-hmm. great details here and there. And, yeah, yeah. That reminds uh, me
2: of Ten Thousand Doors of January. The the discussion we had about smell, Rob. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like smell is such an underutilized sense in fiction, and it, and so when it when it is used, it, it really leaps off the page at me.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's there's a as far as little details that I really particularly loved that are so easy to pass over. I really enjoyed how Bennett played a bit with the quantum implications at times. Uh, Berenice has a point of view considering, and I have the quote everywhere in all spatial positions throughout all of reality at once, which made sense. She supposed if you were to have the option to go anywhere in an instant, you needed to exist everywhere at once. You know, I'm I'm not particularly you, brushed you up. Just... Sorry, go ahead.
1: That was the next quote that I was actually going to bring up. Oh yeah, I loved that one. Yeah.
0: Oh, I, I I'm not brushed up too much on my quantum mechanic or subatomic physics. I guess I'm fairly certain Bennett's playing with one of two things. This is either superposition or a, characteristics of a wave function. And I just I loved it. Of
1: like, oh yeah, that was just the right amount of seasoning for that. I loved it. Yeah, that one. That was that one. I, I was just so fascinated by that. am like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Yep, it's cool stuff. Mm. Cool little, cool little details. Let's see. Here's another one. Uh, don't you see? That's not just it at all, is it? A people are more than just the tools they use. I'm like that's kind of a cool quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels like epigraph. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that.
2: That feels like a rune lord's epigraph.
1: <laughs> yeah it does. that's yeah, there you go. Uh, now, yeah so like
2: uh, one of one of them that I just had highlighted was uh, from Cressidi's point of view during the battle at the end, where he's you know doing all this crazy stuff throwing boulders and islands and and whatnot. But then as he's doing it, his kind of consciousness is fragmenting and his memories as a slave child are coming back to him. And again, it's the way he, uh, the way bennett writes this that ramps up the tension ramps up the the urgency because obviously in in our our standard text he's in the middle of a crazy battle and then he goes into the I- italics in parentheses with and a lot of it is in run-on sentences and sentence fragments and it and you just get this relentless breathless pace to it in the middle of what's already a relentless battle. And Mm -hmm. even though this chapter is like three, four pages long, I, I was almost exhausted by the end of it because it was so intense. And it was all because he was seeding in these memories of run on sentences that are like, you know, 10, 12, 15 lines long. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um, Huge Here's one more, here, one more quote. Um, uh, Tevane tells this to Clef. They say that the waste, wastes beyond a sculptor's workshop are filled with the most wonderful refuse. Oh. All the beautiful broken monuments, all the half-finished stones, all these things littering the landscape. The Gothian proverb is meant to make us think that there is beauty in the unintended, that their lack of perfection does not mean they are not lovely. And then he turns that on its head. But, you know, being an artist myself, I'm mm. like, and, and having been to some sculptors workshops where there are things that are unfinished or you go and you see the David and uh, and leading up to the David, mm. there are all these unfinished pieces. Um, I, it just, I'm like, oh, that's a great quote. It's a great quote.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we're we're starting to, to
1: run a little long,
2: but uh, shall we just like head into our three favorite scenes since we're kind of already on this topic?
0: Yeah, we could do that. Heck yeah. Shall we? All right, uh, Rob, I do I you want to? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, leave we'll us, us off. I'll leave us off with my third favorite. And this was something that Isaac brought up uh, about 15, 20 minutes ago. This was the death slash eraser slash fall of Vittorio. And what it did mm. to our characters. I mean, spectacle aside, that's already granted with someone like Robert Jackson Bennett. But the the choice as an author, as a writer, of placing this emotional blow so early in your final book—it's, I mean, it's appropriate and it's perfect for Bennett to set the stage for what's coming. That moment when Diala missed a shot, and they all fell silent and vittorio just watched it it's even somehow for for a reader like me i'm reading in complete silence alone i'm isolated in my room but somehow reading that scene it got even more silent and that vittorio just watches it they all look back the rest of them look at him and he looks back at them in that one moment and then it's all gone it was just so Mm. wonderfully done so that's my third
1: favorite scene yeah yeah Uh, isaac what about you um, I did not rank scenes. I, I didn't know. And I and oh. I probably need to go here soon. But um, I will give a scene that I did like. Okay. And that Sweet. was, I, as much as we've talked about the, um, you know, maybe that, that revelation about uh, Valeria wasn't quite what we were expecting. When we go back into Clef's memories and he meets the woman that will become his wife, I thought it was very sweetly done, right? We get more twists on what's going on with this family later. But that moment, we've been inside Clef's head for several books now. And and seeing a moment of happiness for him where he was hopeful, I just, I was just, I, I loved that. I loved that little moment.
2: Yeah, nice. Well, uh, my, my third favorite was Clef versus the, the Gundam Orca. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. It was, it was just way too entertaining for me not to include that one but yeah
0: yep. i was trying to find a spot for it in, in my three favorite but i couldn't bump any other ones out so but that was definitely uh, up there
2: but so it's it's funny though because my second favorite was clef remembering meeting his wife
0: oh cool wow yeah, so you go. guys are on the same page there yeah. nice nice uh my second favorite was every time berenice armored up but if I were to, if I were to be so, well, <laughs> not a cop out answer. If I were to actually choose one in particular, I would say would be the landslide. Berenice just simply refusing to die in that way. Rapier out, yeah. she catches herself in the face of the rock, and then she climbs. But she's got the upper body strength to climb back up with rapier and dagger and rapier and dagger, and that was just so cool. It was so badass. I was like one hundred percent fist in the air for Berenice there. It was awesome.
1: Nice. So I'll give, I'll give a number two for me then. Sweet. Um, and this is this is kind of an overarching number two, mm. and this is how deftly Bennett weaves new things that we haven't seen before. We know the dread of the coming deadlamps. We don't know yet what they're going to oh. do. Oh. Okay, and we see how oh. crazy and destructive a deadlamp can be. And it comes. It edits out. Uh, vittorio then we're like holy crap this thing is terrible right and then yeah. he amps this up throughout the rest of the book where we get this little understanding of this giant thing and then by the end there we, we learn about c- citadels and and the the dead lamps are just flying around the citadels like seagulls right <laughs> we're like yeah well wow, how much worse this is that's and kind of like at the a... time we have yeah. to Vane coming for the the givens right and for that but the butterfly key you know it's like now we have seven floating citadels, and they're all just swarming with dead lamps, right mm. He did that very deftly, right, just amping up how crazy the forces and how destructive they can be yeah so that 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 is just he did that very well,
0: yeah i love that you said Absolutely. that because this is something i'm experiencing right now with elden ring with a video game because there are enemies that where i was so intimidated and so terrified of at the beginning of the game which now are exactly as you described just like a flock of seagulls around the bigger threats and i'm going <laughs> oh my god i'm getting a scale for just what how much everything has accelerated here and on yeah. those dead lamps i i have been very vocal about how i love when authors use characters to that just through their reactions or through their dialogue to, to really set uh, a foreboding tone. And that absolutely was a thing with these dead lamps, because when the dead lamp first approaches, the first one that we see everybody in their even in their minds, in their twinnings fall silent. They start whispering. Clef starts whispering to everybody else. And that alone was like, Oh my God, what kind of threat is this? It was so well done. Bennett nailed it. I loved it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, so what was your favorite, Rob?
0: My favorite scene, number one, let me scroll right back down here, was Clef psyching himself up to fight the Laura, the, the Lorica and to fight the Uber <laughs> the Lorica. I wanted to say it was going to be Chrysides versus the Citadels, but I really, again, I couldn't find a spot to fit in. I couldn't knock out any of these other ones though. But this this last line in Clef's consideration as he's psyching himself up, the memory of Chrysides, his son's words, he was never terribly good at saving people anyway. And then the flash to other points of view hearing that roar of shut up. And then he throws himself at that giant. It was the glory in that moment was Mwah! chef's kiss. I loved it. So that's my favorite scene.
2: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, my favorite scene was Berenice purging herself. Those last oh. moments with Sancia and then so well-written. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the line that, that hit me is the, What I would give to go back to that place they thought, or jump forward to that future.
1: Oh,
0: that was that was so good. Up there, I think it's my tied with my favorite Robert Jackson Bennett ending, tied there with uh, Book Two of the Divine Cities, City of Miracles. That was Oh, City of Blades. Sorry, Miracles was the third one. I'm getting my titles mixed up. Yeah, City of Blades. The ending Uh, of that that one was a number on me. (laughs) Oh Oh, man, man, there were tears there were manly tears shed on this part. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's probably the epilogue. Um, (sighs) so I thought the epilogue was well-written. It felt, it fell into like a more of a short story sort of feel and it was just smooth. It it was well-written. I mean, all the things about, about, uh, you know, transhumanism, um, whatever it was that you'd called it, where we we uh, now have hive minds and things, if we, even if you don't agree with that, I still epilogues, epilogues get me a well-written epilogue. And then he just he he ended it with the best lines we could have had, right? for this book, or for this series, just just that last point where it's like, okay, uh, our our characters, Berenice and Sancia, they're gonna be okay. you know. Yeah. I just loved it. It wrapped up really well. So that, that was the epilogue really did me in. And it was good. It was
0: so good. It was so good. Nice. Thank you, Robert Jackson Bandit, for that ending. That was amazing. If you happen to be no listening to kidding. this somewhere down the road. I would <laughs> love someone to give him that message for me. If not, it was great. Nice. So,
2: yeah. Well, uh, shall we head into the final draft then? Wrap this thing up? Let's
0: let's head into the final draft. And I'll start us off because I have just been drinking a nice delightful, although I've been drinking slightly too much, uh, blueberry ginseng tea. Once again, I cannot get enough of this stuff. A nice hot tea. It's ice cold now, of course, but it's still pretty good considering. I think that goes to speak to the quality of the tea itself. Even cold, this blueberry tea has been blowing my mind. So that's what I've been sipping on, as well as some, you know, as to be ordered custom dihydrogen monoxide from Aquafina. On the side so
1: yeah that's what i've been sipping on nice
2: uh Um, isaac what about you
1: yeah i've uh i have been drinking hint water um my favorite flavor of this is honey crisp apple Um, Mm. these are just waters that are infused with with um i mean there's zero calories in these but they they kind of taste like apples were sitting in them Uh, Ah. and so I just, I I really like it. And this tastes like a a fresh apple to me without the sugar and the sweetness. Is that a carbonated beverage? I wonder. This one is not, but they do have at least two that I know of. They have a grapefruit carbonated one. That's pretty good. Uh. And just arrived yesterday, a ginger carbonated one that I will get to try later today.
0: Nice. Nice. Drew McCaffrey.
2: How
1: about you, my friend?
2: I have just been drinking some uh, some good old Martinelli's Sparkling Apple Cider, uh, but more importantly, I have Lauren here to oh, Lauren. talk about a thematically appropriate beer.
3: All right, so this week, I'm drinking a beer we've done before, but this is a different version of it. Uh, it's another barley wine that's uh, barrel-aged oh. in Loveland, Colorado, by a brewery called Verboten which means forbidden. Nice. Uh, it's a play on like a, the old uh, beer laws in Germany, which forbid a lot of different ingredients that we now oh, okay. use. And, yeah.
0: Or to prohibit perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. got you. Got you. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, barley wine. Eh, you could argue maybe falls under that category. <laughs> uh, yep. This guy's. 14.2 percent, and it was aged on amberana, which is a like a Brazilian wood kind of gives Ooh. it this cinnamon flavor.
0: Mm.
3: I can kind of show you guys like, so this beer's like kind of an amber color, it looks a little darker, but it's
0: like a glass of ink, yeah, it's pretty dark, <laughs> it's very yeah. strong.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot.
0: You can smell it from here, it's like you can <laughs> chew that.
3: yeah (laughs) but these these beers traditionally have yeah higher alcohol content but they also have lower carbonation as you can kind of tell there's like there's no head on it and it's it's really strong (laughs) yeah
0: nice yeah Yeah,
3: definitely a better beer for when for the winter months when it's really cold and not when it's
2: 99 degrees in Colorado. (laughs) not got you got you
3: But uh, this guy is called Grow Old With You.
2: Yeah, so that, that goes out to, to Sanchia and Berenice. That's so nice. That's lovely. Sweet.
3: It, it well was, done. Well uh, done that choice. the owner's wedding beer that they brew. Oh,
0: wow. There you go. That speaks to the quality
2: alone. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that is... Uh... That's a wrap for our our coverage of Locklands. Uh, this has been a, a bonus episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Pretty sure this is going to come out on release day, so a little bit of a different schedule. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so as always, if you want to support the show, you can check us out on Patreon at patreoncom inkingoutloud. Get access to all kinds of fun content there. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here
1: and our special guest isaac isaac thanks so much thank you thanks for having me on this has been a blast chatting about an awesome book that you guys so good to hear thanks so much dude Yeah.
2: yeah so thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time